University's talk show, Taking Old School Viral. I'm your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie. It's embarrassing, all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring my mind back to myself? Hello, neighbor, and welcome to Folk U Radio, where we ask our neighbors, what do you know? Folk University is an experiment in neighborliness, in slow learning, in using our interests, skills, and beliefs as a way of connecting and bringing each other closer in community. Are you prepared? In this part one of what's going to be a two-part series, the second part is a live in-person event on April 22nd on Cortez Island here in the Mansons area at 1 p.m. But in this part, part one, we have Sean Koopman from the Strathcona Regional District joining us here to talk all things preparedness. How resilient are you as an individual, a family, as a community? What's the role of the regional district in big disasters? When do we evacuate and when do we shelter in place? And what happens when the answers different, differ from person to person? But first, where are you listening from today, neighbor? Who are the people that have walked and cared for the land, water, and air where you live, work, and play? Cortez Community Radio sits on the ancestral and territorial lands of the Klahus, the Klaaman, and Hamako peoples. I'd like to thank this land, the people who have walked this land through time, and all those that continue to love and work to honor this place we call home. Sean, hello, welcome. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. I'm not too sure how I feel about being on on April Fool's Day, but you know, I think this is the second time we may have had you on on April Fool's Day. I think we did a fire one once on on the same thing. So I, 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 yeah, I have similar feelings about talking about disasters on April Fool's Day because those are not the kind of April Fool's jokes we want. But here we are. Here we are. Here we are. So your official title with the Strathcona Regional District is Protective Services Coordinator. What does that mean? I am responsible for the Regional District's Emergency Management Program under the province's Local Government Emergency Management Regulation, and I also oversee our three fire contracts as well. So you take emergency, you take fire, and you call that protective. Well, I feel like we're pretty lucky to to have you. Um, so let's start with the with the big picture, um, and that is. Can we start with you? Oh yeah, I remember you like to do this. You like to ask me questions. Um, well, you you I like I really appreciate how in your intro you mentioned that it's not just a household. It's not just an individual part. It's not just a regional district part. 
disaster preparedness and resiliency. It's a partnership from the individual to the household to the neighborhood to the local government to the provincial government with NGOs, the feds as well. Can I start with eight questions and the people listening at home or on the road can play along as we go? Oh, I love it. Yes. Okay. Uh, do you have kids? Yes. Okay. So for one point, have you taught them how and when to call 911? Yes. How'd you do that? Uh, I talked to them about it explicitly. If there was an emergency and your household needed to call BC Hydro or BC Poison Control, uh, where are those numbers? Are they in your home or do you have them on your cell phone? They are in our phone book, which the kids do know how to get to, but I will say that they have never called BC Hydro themselves. I, yeah, that's more of a overarching question. Oh, so okay. <laughs> I think we can give you half a point for that. Half a point. Do you know where to find them in your phone book? It's a pretty small oh, yeah. phone book for, well, for Cortez. Yeah, so. yeah. Cortez is one, a small phone book, and two, all those things are on the front page. So thank you to, uh, I forget the name of the, I think it's Gina who does the phone book. Do you have a fire extinguisher in your home? Oh, we have fire extinguishers in multiple places in our home, in every building on our uh, property, and we regularly get them updated. Annually? Uh, well, every time they expire. You're doing great so far. Oh, yes. Have you evaluated the fire smart rating of your home and property based on the fire smart checklist? Not totally, but we are signing up with our neighbors, but we'll talk about that later to okay. get that done. So what do you think, half point? Uh, I would give us less. Give us less, so 33%. 33%, yes. Do you have copies of your important information on a USB drive or a cloud or, a, or, a, or in a safe physically? Yes, to all three. Oh, you're doing so well. I love oh, I it. I love it. Good example for the people listening at home. Uh, and last but not least, does your family have a written household emergency plan? No. Why not? I don't know. I, th I think we're going to get one. Okay. Promise? Yes. Virtual pinky swear? Virtual. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. Can you hear it? Good. That's all I got. That's it? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I could go on. I'm I not sure I passed. Kill, I Did I pass? I could the whole hour with this, but I think we'd start losing listeners. I, I don't think so. I, because other people have to be as competitive as I am. And so we're just, <laughs> I, I feel like I might have gotten a C minus at best. Maybe next time we can book a half hour and do it as a game show and people can participate online on the CKTZ website and we can start to talk about scores. Oh, yes. Sean Koopman, it is a date. We are doing a Folk You game show on emergency preparedness. Um, I love it. Okay, well, <laughs> you'll be getting a follow-up email. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I th this is a good way, I feel like, of um, kind of getting into my next boring question, which is just um, about how places like Cortez and other remote communities, how our planning needs to differ and how we do differ from places like Campbell River. Um, and in particular, I want to just call out some of the things that you've talked about before and um, and also how you talked about that relationship aspect um, with your community. And I think 
you know, you've really done a great job of talking to on this station before about how places like Cortez are really special because we actually do, in most cases, know our neighbors and feel some sense of obligation towards, um, you know, towards how, you know, their survival is related to our survival. Absolutely. And you have a natural sense of resiliency and preparedness that goes with your rural living. But do you take those skills and resources that you've developed and apply them to all hazards? So So that's a very technical way of me saying I was at one of our ESS volunteers' house the last time we were on the island, and they have about a decade worth of canned food and, you know, pickled garden preservatives well beyond to prepare for an earthquake. However, in their cold room, it was all on the top shelf. Small earthquake happens, I mean, large, small, whatever, but ground starts to shake a little bit, that fall falls over, and boom, you've got 10 years worth of your fruits and labor of preparedness just down the drain. And that's something that is free. It doesn't cost anything. There's no reason why when we live in an earthquake zone that anybody should have anything heavy, breakable, regardless of its preparedness or not, uh, on a high shelf where it could hurt somebody or even get broken. I mean, when we talk about earthquakes, I know you like the big one, and it's, it's great to talk about the big one, but it also, it's not the most likely thing that we're going to experience. The most likely earthquake will be a small, you know, a small shaker. Things rattle around a little bit. Roads are fine. Calms are fine. We go about our business day to day. But even if that's a small shake, think about how much of a mess your house could be. And does a book shape, does a bookshelf fall over and hurt your child? Well, what about those precious knickknacks or a fine china plate that you inherited from your great grandmother? Is that in a protective spot? Do you have museum putty under it to keep it from falling off? Uh, do you have wine bottles that are going to break and, and stain the carpet? Even those sort of little things. You know, how bad is it going to be a mess? And even that takes some some money to replace. So there's a lot that we can do to prepare, and a lot of it is low-cost or free. I'm just thinking right now about all the things that are going to break in my house. Um, And, I mean, I think, uh, you know, when I've been talking about um, are you prepared to some of my more prepared friends, uh, you, you know, one of them said to me, the best thing that could happen to us here is that we have something like a small earthquake so that we get a chance to, you know, practice um, in a slight, you know, to just sort of see, like, even a small earthquake can shake all your plates off the walls, et cetera. Um, so can we talk? And they're, not, and they're not wrong. I mean, they're not wrong about that. We never wish a disaster upon anybody, but the social science literature has proven time and time again that the people that are the most prepared for an event are the people that have gone through it and don't want to make the mistakes the second time around. But in the second most positive influence is the friends, family, and neighbor aspect of it. So I I love that you have me on. I will talk about this, as you know, for hours on end until the cows come home and the chickens come to roost. But uh, all in all, I'm a foreigner on Cortez Island. 
I don't, I'm not there all the time. I am not the most influential voice to be spreading preparedness on Cortez. You are with your neighbor or the lady down the street that you buy your carrots off of and, and having those conversations and talking about what you have and haven't done and monkey see, monkey do. Yeah, I uh, totally agree. And also, realistically, our neighbors are the, the, the exact people who are going to be, you know, hopefully sharing with us and helping support us through additional disasters. I really like that your attitude around stuff like that. So let's talk a little bit more about that. And what, um, you know, one of the things I liked most about coming here to Cortez Island um, before we lived in Vancouver um, and before that, a, a, a much larger city in the U.S., and my husband has worked for, for these cities um, in both cases. And he's often had the emergency preparedness files for these big cities. Oh. And, and I feel like, oh, it's amazing to be in a place where individuals feel personal responsibility to some extent. Like, And there's a huge difference. You just alluded to this. Like, A lot of people in cities um, feel much more disconnected from the the basics of survival food water um electricity you know whatever they're used to they're used to the city providing a lot of that and we have you know crazy stories of people basically rioting in vancouver when they couldn't get when the city didn't have enough salt to give them for their sidewalks and you know that doesn't happen out here um but i am wondering if you can talk a little bit about what the srd what the regional district's role is is what they can do for for us and then and then all you know starting to help us think about all the vast things that realistically they're not going to be able to do are you talking day-to-day role or emergency role an emergency so i mean and clearly that's going to be different in different kinds of disasters so maybe we start um uh you know, maybe we should break those up a little bit um, and start, you know, either small or evacuation type disasters versus, um, and, you know, this is where I want the conversation to go is like, what did different disasters look like? And what's the difference? Um, you know, and what, when are they evacuation disasters? And what does the SRD do in that role? Because I just keep thinking, like, where do you go? What happens? Where are you living? Who's taking care of you? if you leave. Um, so there's the evacuation kind of disasters and then there's the shelter in place kind of disasters. And I want to, you know, and, and I feel like we've talked a lot less about the shelter in place disasters where there's a really high need for the local community to have deeply thought and prepared both as individuals and as a, a community. So, um, but I mean, some Cortez Islanders, they shelter in place naturally. You know, what is it? it it's a socially recluse type of island. Oh, but, yes. So we, we the regional district, the authority having jurisdiction, we take our direction directly from the incident command post. So let's lay out the most likely cause of an evacuation on Cortez, which is a fire. The Cortez Island Fire Department, and if the fire has spread from the home into the forest, will open up an incident command post in conjunction with BC Wildfire Service. And that incident command post, anything that is beyond their scope or their ability to perform at the scene, 
they bump that up to an emergency operations center. So we really take direction from the folks that are in charge at the incident command post. They advise us on evacuation orders, they advise us on alert, they advise us on resources, they advise us on messaging, you know, all those type of things. So our most recent fire was in Diamond Bay on Sonora Island last summer. Everything that was coming out from the regional district, all the advanced planning we started doing, all the messaging that we were put out was directly in conjunction with BC Wildfire Service and the advice of their incident command post. And I'm just using them because Sonora Island doesn't have their own fire department. Awesome. And so then, so the command post, which is, uh, has this, uh, um, range of resources then the deep local with the local fire department uh, in our case um, and then as well as the SRD and BC wildfire should it be a wildfire would be making kind of decisions and calls and helping figure out what to do here so let's walk through that if we're if you're a if the fire is on Cortez um, or you know Quadra or who, wherever no, people pick, are listening pick, from, pick, pick somewhere on Cortez. So the fire is on Cortez. Um, We're on Cortez, and it is in the it's in it's up in the north part of Cortez, okay. but um, but close enough to houses that um, it's threatening people in Whale Town, and it's spreading fast. Okay, so uh, ex- let's say explosion at the Carrington Rave. Yes. Someone, someone, someone crashed a boat into yeah. the cliffs. Boat's on fire. Okay. Yeah, it's exploded. There's fire. It's it's it not only is it there, but it's moving quickly towards actual houses in Whale Town. Okay. Okay. What do we do? So the regional district will open up an emergency operations center. So that will start in the forest. So that starts under BC Wildfire's jurisdiction. They call the regional district and give us information about the propensity to spread, the possible evacuation order area, who do they think could possibly be affected by that. We start to, one, get that information out to residents currently through Connect Rocket, but in a month for Emergency Preparedness Week, we're going to be switching over to a new mass notification provider called Alertable. There will be nothing the residents have to do to do that switch. All their information is transferred into the new system. They will still get cell phone calls, landline calls, and text messages the same way they did under Connect Rocket. But with Alertable, they can connect their Facebook to it. They can connect WhatsApp to it. They can connect their Alexa home speaker to it and start to get information that way. So we send the message out on Alertable, we send the message to CKTZ so they can start to broadcast uh, the most up-to-date information that we have possible. And based on the number of homes that are affected, based on the routes that are available, based on the amount of emergency support services volunteers, we open up a reception center and we ask people to go there to register so that we can start to provide for their basic needs. We bring in security to start to make sure that no one's going into that evacuation order zone, whether that's a security team, whether that's RCMP, you know, it's all so situation specific, but we want to make sure that people aren't going into the danger zone and then any additional resources that the fire department or BC wildfire may need that they can't handle 
themselves because BC Wildfire also has, you know, if they need wildfire specific equipment, they're going to go to their colleagues. You know, they won't come to me and say, Sean, we need three helicopters. They take all of that. They take care of all of that themselves. But if there was some local pieces of equipment they might need, I, you know, I have a couple list of Cortez Islanders that have, you know, have a backhoe or have some heavy duty machinery that we might be able to get out if needed right away because, as you know, it takes time to get logistics and resources to the island. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, and say this fire has now spread and it is across the island. Um, there's Highly unlikely, but okay. Yeah, okay, there. good. Well, I like to hear that it's highly yeah. unlikely. Um, uh, but let's say it has spread across the island or it has at least gotten to the south end where the majority of people are. Okay. And it is not under control. What happens then? It really depends on where the fire is going there. Is is the ferry accessible or not? Have we lost the ferry for whatever the reason? The ferry is no longer accessible to those on the south end because okay. the then fire... We'll, then we'll be asking people to shelter in place with friends, family, relatives on the north part of the island, which is not in danger from the fire. And so the so when what I hear you saying is when possible... We you the goal is to keep islanders on the island if possible. Mm-hmm. And what kind of um, uh, scenarios would there be where um, either localized evacuation would be necessary or even mass evacuation? When suggested by the incident command post. Okay, so like if the so in this case that would be fire a fire that's big enough or out of control enough yes um and um now so what kind of scenarios can you imagine where um we might be sheltering in place for an extended period of time and how do those differ from a more evacuative or you know fire on cortez and so it's very clear what needs to be done we need to put off the out the fire on cortez right yeah but what if it's an a fire that cuts us off from the mainland. Yeah, so we recent, REOC recently dealt with a shelter-in-place event when the power was out for nine days on the west coast from Tassis to Cayucat, and not just was the power out, but the roads were extremely, extremely dangerous. So we op- operated warming centers in Zabalas and Tassis where people could go to warm up, to get a home-cooked meal. We actually in Tassis had vulnerable populations staying there overnight upon recommendation of BC Ambulance because the power had been out and it was so cold that these vulnerable populations needed a permanent source of heat. The temporary sh- the temporary refuge from just the daily warming center wasn't enough. And, you know, could people pass the road? Yeah. And were they? Yes. But our main part with that was we're always looking after the health and safety of our volunteers and first responders. That is our number one priority. And if any suggested action violates that, we're not doing that action. So in order to try and keep people off of those roads, we arranged for a grocery delivery service to the area. The residents would place an order with Savon and Campbell River if they were in Tassis or 
IGA in Port McNeil, if they were in Zabalas, they would still have to pay for their groceries themselves, like the government, the regional district, emergency management, BC. We don't buy people household items. That is not the role of the government or what we do. You know, a lot of people are out of their one-pound propane tanks for their barbecue. I'm so sad. Like, too bad, so sad. I can't buy that with tax dollars money. Maybe people will donate some for you. Maybe you can share some with your neighbors. So they would contact uh, the grocery store. They would place their order. But through provincial funding, we were able to pay a delivery service, you know, trucks to, and in the case of Kayuket Air Nutka, to bring the groceries to them. And that was right in line with that number one principle of protecting for the health and safety of our volunteers and first responders, because we were trying to prevent unnecessary accidents on the Forest Service Road by having, you know, much easier to bring 50 people groceries than have 50 people going into town to get them and by hopefully eliminating accidents or decreasing the possibility of accidents on the road we were preventing our first responders from having to respond in those dangerous icy conditions as well uh, and that was you know a pretty easygoing shelter in place example all things considered communications were running generators were in place and it was very localized to five small communities and as as you start to expand on that you know what is the ultimate shelter in place example it's it's going to be an earthquake because an earthquake you a you know, massive earthquake you you cannot go anywhere communications will be down transportation mechanisms will be disrupted, planes can't take off, cars can't drive on the road, and you will be stuck where you are for a very long period of time without the regular amenities, and you won't have regular fire department, BC ambulance, RCMP services available to you because it's just so overwhelming. And can we talk a little bit about if there was um, a, you know, a big earthquake or... Um uh, you know, I mean, it could be other things too, right? That where you know anything that kind of cuts us off, uh, and we're this light little community on a little island that is relatively resilient compared to a lot of people. I would imagine living Agreed. in Campbell River, right? Like if they don't Agreed. have power and water, what are you going to do? So, you know, realistically, we're not on the top of anyone's list. Um, uh, so, you know, you know, kind of like in your role with the regional district, do you, how much is your job Campbell River or is that kind of taken by Campbell River City? Municipal so the staff. emergency program is one of our truly regional services. So the regional district collects tax requisition from the city of Campbell River, the four electoral areas and the four villages to pay into my service. So whereas our Jacob, our parks coordinator, he only looks after parks in our electoral areas. Um, planning only looks after planning in our electoral areas. But Sean, me, I go everywhere. I go from Sonora Island all the way up to Walters Island, south of Cayuca. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You must really wish you could clone yourself. Well, I get to, I w I'd like to thank the regional board because I get to clone myself this year and hire a full-time deputy. Oh, that's great. Um, well, yeah, good, good, for, good for you, good for them. Um, thanks to everyone for making that happen. Um, 
Okay, so, you know, there's a major regional event. Uh, we're on a little island um, out here, and we're a little bit more resilient um, than perhaps the, you know, someone who is connected to, a, you know, a building's electricity, has no yard, has no way that they could possibly have saved up a bunch of rainwater, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So here we are, and we are in a community that is going to be cal- cut off not for a mere nine days, but for significantly longer, most likely. Um, what, you know, what's your list? What's your list that you, you know, your quiz that you gave me, <laughs> you know, of things that people ought to be thinking about um, if they're living this far away from someone showing up tomorrow after a big emergency event? And we're, are we still talking earthquake care? Yeah, we're, I mean, it doesn't really matter what it is, but that kind of event where it's affecting an entire region, we're entirely cut off, and we're not the only place, right? We're, like, at the bottom of the pile because we're relatively doing better than a lot of other people. Sure. I, I would say the biggest part on my wish list is the situational awareness piece. So there were some regional districts during the November flooding. They had no idea that the community, the neighborhood was experiencing flooding until days into the event. And many reasons for that. Residents just assumed that somebody would tell somebody and nobody told anybody. <laughs> and regional districts, you know, we, we cover a huge area, and that's what I like about Cortez and so many of my areas is that I do feel that people have that relationship with me and know how to contact me and know that they should be feeding this type of information into the regional district. We don't always know what's going on everywhere, so having that meaningful connection, that truthful connection beforehand so that people can share that information to us uh, is extremely valuable. And, you know, that's why with CKTZ, you're in, you're in the, uh, you're in the CKTZ shack today, right? Yes, I am. Yeah. So you'll somewhere around there, you'll see a huge Pelican case that says radio station uh, in a box, you know, acknowledging how much information plays a role, people needing to get information. You go to the back corner of CKTZ, uh, you're going to see a Winlink receiving station, and we can send messages to the radio station over radio waves, even if regular communication gets disrupted and you can receive it there. Uh, We've also supplied CKTZ with what we call the radio station in a box. And if a meteor wiped out the whole building that you're in, uh, they can still set up that Pelican case, hook it to a car battery, throw an antenna up into a tree, and be able to broadcast information over a portion of Cortez Island. But if regular communications are disrupted, the hardest part is going to be getting that situational awareness back to the Strathcona Regional District because we don't have a lot of ham radio operators on Cortez Island. We only have one. And so unless people have their own you know, 
inReach or SpotX or some sort of satellite device that still works in those scenarios, and they know enough that they should be emailing the regional district with what's going on, uh, it's going to be very hard for us to know what are the unmet needs on the island, and by their, you know, by not knowing unmet needs, we're not immediately knowing what we can do about it. Okay, so I just heard three things, um, two of which listeners could be doing. Um, one, everybody needs, in my opinion, <laughs> to have a, a, a radio um, at their home that yep. is wind up, um, solar battery, solar. Or, yeah. or have a lot of extra batteries. Yep. Yep. Yeah, uh, and pro- preferably all three of those things. Uh, and and we actually used to at least, and I think we still may um, sell them at the radio station that are solar, wind up, and ra- and battery powered. But it doesn't matter where you get it. But you, if you don't have one, um, you, like you will really not know what's going on. So that's yeah. one thing everybody that, can. Yeah, get. that's a, that is a great way of getting that external piece of information. Also those walkie-talkies from you know, Canadian Tire, Home Depot, they're 30 bucks each, are also, incre- you know, we're talking in, in a huge scenario where comms are down, of course, but those are incredibly powerful in that type of situation because that will allow neighbors and households to talk to one another, and they're very affordable. They don't require a certification. They don't have much of a range beyond, I mean, the package will say, three kilometers but that's three kilometers or if you're standing in a prairie in saskatchewan but you know they'll have a good range of a couple hundred meters or so awesome that's a great suggestion and then um uh, again i will make a full announcement about this at the end but uh you and i have been a little bit in touch about this ham radio thing uh we need more ham radio operators on this island um one seems to me to be not enough um and there is a course coming up a virtual ham radio course um mm-hmm. so uh i don't know if you want to say anything else about that but i am really hoping that some people listening will want to become a ham radio operator uh and i'm wondering how like is that something that anyone can do or do you have to be pretty techy to be able to operate a ham radio oh nathaniel got it when he was nine on cortez nathaniel's pretty special yes (laughs) (laughs) he's very smart but no anybody can do it if they're willing to put the time and effort into it i'm not i'm a master an art student i'm not techy I'm not gifted in electromagnetic physics, but it's a data bank of questions, and if you just memorize the questions and answers, you can get it. Now, as the son of two teachers, and some, and you know, I was almost a teacher myself, I don't like giving people that answer because it doesn't encourage you know knowing or encouraging critical thinking at all. But that stuff comes after you get the certification that's when you get to have the fun. So there's an answer in the databank equal to crystal control. Now, I don't know what that question is, and I don't even know what crystal control is, but I know because I have done that test enough times with flashcards to know that if I see an answer or if I see a question and I see crystal control in the answer, that's the right answer, and that's good enough for me. 
and you can op- like you can actually operate the ham radio so you more or less configure it out when you're like if there was a disaster and needed to use it i mean you must use your ham radio fairly regularly yeah it's fun okay change your life okay well so so there's there's taking the test and then there's actually being able to function and it sounds like yes even you listener can learn how to function on ham radio but, but let's break that down to how can this be immediately applicable to Cortez Island? Yeah, so tell us. I, so I've heard from a lot of concerned residents that their landlines go down uh, you know, several 8 to 24 hours after a power outage. And for those areas, you know, Cortez Bay without cell phone reception, they are unable to call 911. And the regional district, we are bringing that to TELUS's attention, but that's really our role in this. We're not a telecommunications provider, but what can residents do to overcome that? Well, your 911 landlines go down. Your, everyone in your neighborhood has one of those walkie-talkies, and at least one person in the neighborhood at all times is a certified ham radio operator that can trigger one of our repeaters. And in the event of any type of emergency, but let's say it's a medical emergency, they call for help on their walkie-talkie. The person that's certified on the ham radio hears it on the walkie-talkie. They call for help on a ham radio frequency via one of our repeaters. There's always somebody listening and that person on the other end calls 911 for them. I I love it. And this is uh sort of getting into um how we can be organized uh more as a community. So let's talk about one of the other things that you um mentioned which is then it's communicating back to the regional district. So if we had a couple ham radio operators, you know, ideally one in each neighborhood, then that's one way that someone then could be communicating into the SRD. Yep. Um, what is the possibility of of having additional ways? Um, so, for instance, uh, the the we have. Um, our volunteer fire department, all who are using uh, kind of more powerful walkie-talkies and have ways to keep in touch with each other through that. Um, you know, do they communicate or is the fire department uh, tasked and have a way to communicate from this community back to the regional district in an extreme emergency situation? Yes and no. So, they uh, the fire department operates on a North Island 911 frequency, and that is just supposed to be for tactical fire response, fire to fire. In the worst case scenario, could they use? So I don't have that frequency even on my EOC radio. I'm not allowed to have it. North Island 911 will not let local governments have those frequencies for very important reasons. They are for strict life-saving, you know, tactical, on-the-ground scenarios. Uh, same as how I don't have BC wildfires repeater frequencies. That's theirs for their direct operations. So 
is there a scenario where they could dispatch, you know, use that frequency to contact the dispatch center in Campbell River, and then the dispatch center can contact the regional district? Yeah, yeah technically, yes, but we wouldn't want to make a habit of that. That takes a frequency away from its allocated purpose that takes a dispatch operator away from their 911 and operating duties. Interesting. There, there's way more ideal scenarios than that. Uh, can you lay out some of those? Yeah, uh, people that have their personal spot X or in reach can email the regional district. Um, and so uh, I like that. Uh, I also like the idea that I guess our, you know, that there would be, uh, you know, I guess, I mean, I, I, maybe this is, I feel like I would be accused of being very big city right now when I say this, <laughs> but I like the idea that our, um, you know, fire chief and kind of upper level fire department people would have, you know, ham radio skills and would be also communicating back and forth with the regional district um, and then, you know, have, yes, like our neighborhoods and our community clearly need to step up and get organized into these community centers, our neighborhood um, centers, but it feels like there should be a little bit of an easier communication route back to you. I mean, also maybe the radio station could be doing more as sort of um, becoming a place that can also communicate back to the regional district as to what's actually happening when everything, you know, goes down. Um, yeah, and we are looking at putting in a regional. So the regional district, we have a commercial frequency. We are looking at linking that to a ROIP that stands for radio over internet protocol system where anybody at say CKTZ that that is authorized by the regional district to use that frequency could radio back to us but that also relies on the internet still being running uh, it's just re re radio repeaters they're just very incredibly expensive and so that basically takes sound waves or radio waves and and turns it into digital signals that then can be picked up by a computer or is this just it, like way too technical and i'm never gonna get it? it it relies on the radio still goes into the roif system via radio wave but it's the internet that sends it to the other side okay um wow that seems cool okay so that's but, if so, so here ask so ask me, ask me a question. Ask if quad, the Quadra Emergency Program has this has their own spot X. Do they? Ha does the Quadra? Uh, they do. Oh. Ask me why they have it. How, why do they have it? Because they have emergency communication team volunteers. They have a program. Cortez oh. doesn't. I. And that not enough people have signed up to be emergency communication team volunteers. Okay. To justify having that equipment there, who's going to use it? And then, so can tell I, I've I, I heard a little bit about um, Quadra's uh, kind of community-based. I guess they're the emergency community team volunteers. Can you tell us a little bit about what a volunteer looks like? What we would need to do to get them as a community, and and who organized that on Quadra, or what group um, made that happen? Yeah, um, 
Now, I thought you were talking with Judy on Quadra. I thought you had an interview with her coming back up. I, I hope that I do. I mean, I've reached out to her, so I'm going to learn more soon. Um, yeah. I know that they, I know that she's been busy because they have their disaster preparedness expo on May 14th. So uh, I won't go into the history of that because that will, that will take away Judy's opportunity to tell you a wonderful story. But what does it take? It takes somebody that is willing to put in 20 hours a year of volunteer work into an emergency communications program and register as an emergency communications public safety lifeline volunteer with the regional district. And currently we only have one person on Cortez that even that only just recently, two weeks ago, stepped up to take that on. Oh, I, okay, well, um, hopefully I'll talk to Judy then before our April 22nd event here, because I think this is a, a goal that we can, why can't we come up with, already we have one. Oh my gosh, we are a tenth of the way there or something. Um, so we can get more. Come on, Cortez, we're, we're competitive. We love competing with Quadra. Uh, <laughs> Um, okay, well, I feel like that's a, a really wonderful goal. Let's talk a little bit about um, some of the other emergency services, which are probably outside of your um, wheelhouse. But uh, I, one of the things that always feels like a little bit of a mystery here is the ambulance and paramedics um, and the health center. How much communication uh, do you have uh, in your role with these important emergency uh, centers on Cortez. Yeah, we have the Cortez Island Emergency Planning Committee that has those entities and some others on it. We get together at a quarterly or as needed basis to keep in the loop and talk about what we want to accomplish. Can you tell us who all is on that? I, I just love that there's such a thing as this committee. Yeah, uh, we have... So the health center, BC Ambulance, the fire department, CKTZ, Clahoos First Nations, school district representation, and the family program as well. Wonderful. Um, and so together, this group kind of thinks amongst itself, like where, you know, are we in communication? What are, are uh, the things that we have working for us? And what are the things that we do not yet have working for us? Yeah. And what can we realistically accomplish given the time, personnel, and resources that are available to us? And what um, can you talk about what some of the kind of big goals are uh, coming out of this group um, or your personal ones for, for Cortez um, in the near future? How near is near? Oh, I'm over Tomorrow. the next... No, no, next couple okay. of years. Oh, next couple of years? Um, really, yeah, really guiding the regional district's grant applications and making sure that we're on the proper course in terms of planning and disaster risk reduction on Cortez Island. We, but prior to COVID, we talked about doing a mass casualty exercise that's something that's got put on hold and the last meeting we talked about is you know, is it realistic do we have the capacity to start that up over again i love that idea 
are you getting called into an emergency? No. Okay. <laughs> just making sure. <laughs> You're just doing a little CPR on the side. Um, well, that sounds very cool. So what... Um, as far as what you know, what happens, you know, after the big one, for instance, um, and we are sheltering in place and we're completely cut off from the mainland and the rest of the world for some period of time, let's say it's, you know, at least a month, six weeks. What happens with our uh, paramedics and our health center? I mean, we basically, from what I can imagine, we're going to have no medicine um, yep. and we are going to have you know, maybe a doctor will be stuck here. Um, uh, we'll have a couple really well-trained nurses that live here. Um, what happens with these people and how much of that is scripted versus how much of it is just hoping that our neighbors are going to kind of like be there for us? It's going to be the neighbors being there for you. Do not, because our, our doctors, our paramedics, our ESS volunteers, our firefighters, we're all just going to be as affected as everybody else our homes are going to be damaged our family could be hurt and it's always a family first so learn cpr skills learn first aid learn how to mimic all of those potential services that you usually call out for at a neighborhood level after a disaster that's what quadra is doing Um, i have to leave this call at two o'clock because Quadra has a volunteer neighborhood preparedness island-wide organizer that looks after their NEP program. And we are doing a wildfire evacuation tabletop exercise for all 80 members of their NEP program at their May 14th Disaster Preparedness Expo. That's the degree of organization they have. They apply for, you know, not just through the regional district, but they also apply for external grant fundings, and they have staged post-earthquake kits in many neighborhoods with those type of supplies like walkie-talkies and bandages and saline solution. Oh, I want that. So is this a is this a position that they've managed to get funded through? Um, it's all volunteer. Wow. So they have a, vo- a volunteer who's helping to coordinate and put this together. Well, we're going to talk to Judy about how they got that. Uh, so we need that. Um, and... Uh, so we, I, I, I feel like you probably can't talk any more about um, than like medicines and things like that, but it does make me feel like we are pretty vulnerable as individuals yeah. if but, you... Sorry, given we only have like six to seven minutes left, Amanda, can we talk about some of the day-to-day programs and services and what's coming down the pipeline? Absolutely. Yeah. So we will be doing the Fire Smart driveway wood chipping program again this year. I don't have the date nailed down, but it will be second, third, fourth week of June for sure. It'll definitely be in June, I promise that. Uh, We just have to work out, so the wood chip disposal sites were just confirmed at board last Wednesday, so about 48 hours ago, so we do have some location where the chips will be stored on island this year so that'll make it you know much quicker and cheaper to offer the service and wanted to thank the organizations that put in their applications to serve as disposal sites and so yeah you know plan on that happening if you don't have to open burn don't have to because 
not only are we going to be bringing the chipper around, it's going to be going. The chips are going to be going to community organizations on Cortez Island as well. The Dillon Creek restoration, uh, wetland restoration project, is just one such example. Oh my uh, we're all- Just let me say one moment to say yep. thank you, Sean. That was something that a, a number of people really, really, really cared a lot about on Cortez. So way to go! Thank you for helping um, see that through. Yay! Yay! And yeah, if if anything, use that to fire smart your property more because your chips are going to a community organization on Cortez Island and get you know, get them all the wood chips that they possibly can. Uh, Quadra Island is hosting a disaster preparedness expo at the community center on West Road from 11 to 3 on Saturday, May 14th. We will have a bunch of vendors there so people can come by and learn more about water storage or even buy specialized water storage tanks. They can buy household preparedness kits. They can buy 50-year shelf life canned emergency water. It's just going to be a, a big fall fair and our big fair and fun for the whole entire family. That sounds amazing. Uh, we are always looking for more volunteer firefighters, volunteer emergency support services volunteers. We already talked about the radio communication team volunteer bit. So if anybody would like to learn more, please contact me. And we are currently accepting applications from Cortez Island neighborhoods to receive a free wildfire threat assessment. So it has to be a minimum of three households because we really want to promote the fire smart education at a neighborhood level. There has to be a neighborhood community champion that's leading it to be the point person between their neighborhood and the fire smart consultant but the consultant will come in they'll do an assessment of the neighborhood at kind of that bird's eye view level and then any individual homeowner that also wants their own individual household and property fire smart assessment can get one while the consultant's there Uh, that is your information to keep the consultant doesn't keep it the regional district doesn't keep it it's all for you and your educational purposes on what you can do to reduce the risk of wildfire to your home and property i just for those people who are competitive um, my neighborhood has already started uh, getting organized for this Uh, we had a question about um, this which is this wildfire uh, consultant it sounds like we can get the bird's eye view kind of what's going on in your neighborhood what are the big risks what are the um, you know things going for you i'm assuming that is free but what if we also want a wildfire um, individual fire assessment is how much is Oh, wow. What a great opportunity. I hope people are going to make use of this. Um, they can, If they want to find out more about this, they can reach out to you, right? Yeah, and the application is right on the SRD's website. It's srd.ca slash neighborhood-wrr, and that's Wildfire Risk Reduction, Whiskey Romeo Romeo. And people can always email me, and I will make sure you get the information. And we only have... You know, a certain amount of funding available, and I've already received two applications from Cortez. So, one of them's for my neighborhood. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, uh, Cortez Bay, Red, Red Granite Road. 
Oh, I should probably not tell people where I live, but there you go. <laughs> We're on it. Um, so that's awesome. What else? That's all I got for now. The ham radio course is coming up. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the Revelstoke Amateur Radio Society is running a virtual course. I believe it's Sunday evenings and Thursday evenings. It starts mid-May and runs till mid-June. And I think you said you were posting that on Tidelines, right, Amanda? Yep, I'm going to post that on Tideline, and people, if they need to, can reach out to me. And and is, I think that course is $130, which is not tons, but if that is cost prohibitive to someone, um, I feel like, you know, we can make some grants happen. Uh, so people should reach out to me or the radio station and if, if that's a problem. And if they sign up as volunteers before or afterwards, they get reimbursed. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding? No. That's so great. Did you hear that, people? This is, everybody should do it. And do you need to have a ham radio in order to take that course? No. And how expensive are ham radios? Uh, how expensive are cars? There's, Ooh, there a, are 40, a, there's a $40 handheld. There's a, our member, Mike, who just went off shore sailing, has a $15,000 unit. It all depends on what you want to do with it. But yeah, 40 bucks. Okay, great. So we don't have to be scared. So a ham radio isn't a special type of radio. So North Island 911, they have their own commercial frequencies. They pay the federal government for those frequencies. And unless you have a letter of authorization from North Island 911, you should not be listening or transmitting on those frequencies. Same with RCMP frequencies. Same with helicopter frequencies. Most of the electromagnetic spectrum is very highly regulated, and the frequencies are rented but owned by an organization that pays the federal government for them. But the amateur radio spectrum are small chunks in the UHF, VHF, and HF portions of the spectrum that are open to anybody that has an amateur radio certification. Wow. And and boaters need this. No. uh, No. The restricted marine license, that's a completely different certification. Ah, darn. Yeah. Um, okay, well, this there's a lot of wonderful opportunities coming up. This has been really exciting. I super appreciate your time, Sean. Um, and will you remind people of how they can get hold of you and the uh, website of the Regional District uh, emergency stuff? Yeah, 250-830-6702 or preparedness at srd.ca. Wonderful. Any last words you want to leave us with? Thank you and take care. Thank you so much, Sean. Bye. Bye. Thank you, listener, for being here today. Uh, I will repeat some of these upcoming opportunities because they are pretty exciting. Uh, If you were listening today, you heard that uh, there are a number of upcoming opportunities and events to help us get more prepared um, one, the Fire Smart Wood Chip program is going to be underway very soon. You can leave out uh, your wood um, scraps, so twigs, branches, etc., and someone will come pick them up. And this year, after a great deal of effort by many, many local people, um, or I should say a couple local people who put in a lot of effort, these wood chips will stay on island to be used for 
lots of different amazing conservation type uh, activities. So that's pretty neat. Um, the Disaster Preparedness Expo is happening May 13th, Saturday, May 13th from 11 to 3 on Quadra. And it sounds like on top of some really great information, there is also going to be stuff, water storage tanks, etc. I'd be curious to know if there's some fire suppression stuff. Probably there will be. Um, there is also the Cortez Island Neighborhood Emergency Fire Preparedness uh let's see, um, consultant coming. Okay, I feel like that's not how I'm supposed to say it, but fire smart support for your neighborhood. You get a free neighborhood wildfire threat assessment as well as you get to work individually to fire get a, a free fire smart property assessment for your property. Uh, you do not need everyone in your neighborhood to participate in order to be eligible for this grant, but it is first come, first serve. You have to have at least three people from your neighborhood and a maximum of 15. There's already two applications in, so there, that is not going to last forever. Um, please do sign up uh, if you're interested in that. Um, and this is on the SRD website as well. It's going to be posted on Tideline, or you can reach out to me, you at folku.ca, if you want more on that. There's also a virtual ham radio course coming up. And again, um, that's May 12th to June 12th. It's $130 or free if you sign up to be a ham radio volunteer um, serving your community um that doesn't even have to be you don't have to be on cortez you could be on quadra um you could be on campbell river etc um one of the other remote islands if you would like to take that um actually i think anyone anywhere can take it because it's virtual but you can have it reimbursed if you're in one of these communities and want to volunteer afterwards so also to learn more about that you can check out the srd on tideline or reach out to me at you at and then i am really excited because on friday april 22nd we are going to have a live in-person folk university event where we will be talking about how we as a community are prepared and what we as individuals can do on cortez to get more prepared for a big um whatever big event we're saying the big one but i'm saying that and that can be whatever big event that means that we will be here sheltering in place for potentially long periods of time without outside help uh so how prepared are you um we learned a lot today about what that means and i hope we'll learn even more and as well as be able to make some connections within our own neighborhoods and community at that event lots to think about. Thank you so much for being part of this episode. You're listening to Folk U Radio here on CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio, on the web at cortezradio.ca. Think. That's it for another edition of Folk U Radio. If you'd like to learn more about FolkU or subscribe to our podcast series, visit us at folku.ca. That's F-O-L-K-U dot C-A. FolkU is produced at CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Radio dot C-A. My little brain's almost always got something lame it's got to say. It's embarrassing, all the stupid things 
I can't.